this 4th of July has kind of got me thinking about uh, our country. And I'm not going to preach a, this is our country kind of a sermon today. This sermon really has nothing to do with our country. This is just an illustration. Think about for a moment how our country has changed through the years. And there's been a lot of changes for the good. I mean, we could sit here and list a lot of them probably if we put our heads to it. The abolition of slavery. I mean, whoa, that's a good change right there. An important change. And thank God for Abraham Lincoln and, and the release of the captives. The right of women to vote. It's unbelievable to me that they couldn't at one point, right? Uh, but that's a good change that our country made. And uh, I don't know if you remember, no, none of you remember because none of you are old enough, but there was this thing called the Great Depression. Do you remember that? And, and the way that our country climbed out of an economic pit that might have seemed way too deep for people to... You look at our country, there's been a lot of good changes that we've moved through in the journey of the past 200 plus years. And, and, and there's been some ones that are not so good too. That's just part of life, I guess. We won't detail those. But I was thinking about that as I was preparing this message for the 4th of July weekend, and, and I thought, everything changes. Countries change. Corporations, if they're going to survive, they will change. It's really hard to find a good Swiss watch. You know why? They didn't survive the transition to the electronic age like they might have. They didn't make those changes, and their journey that was running very strong kind of petered out somewhere along the way there. You know, there's, there's uh, businesses that make changes. And there's people who make changes. You and I change all the time. I saw myself on video, and by the way, I neglected to welcome those of you who are joining us on video. I saw myself on video just this past week. I'm looking and I said, who's that guy with the white hair? There's a change that you get to see. I want to have you give some thought, if you would, this morning to changes in your life as you have journeyed spiritually speaking. What are, what are some changes that you have made? Some changes that you need to make in the future. And we're going to find that uh, discussion kind of springing from a viewpoint of the gentleman who Jesus healed. I'd like you to, if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. There's a Bible app event for this. So if you have the Bible app, click on the little menu and look for an event near you if you happen to be local and you'll see it. Luke chapter 5, we're going to be at verse 17, and in a few moments, we'll read that through verse 26. One of the things I love to say to people, especially when I've just met them, established a degree of rapport, I I like to just say to them, hey, tell me a little bit about your life journey. Or if I'm a little bolder, I might say, tell me a little about your spiritual journey. Or if I have an inkling that they're Christians, I might say something like, tell me a little bit about your walk with Christ and how that pathway has led you and unfolded before you. Talk about that a little bit. It's a great conversation starter, and and you you really get to know someone when they begin to tell you about their spiritual journey with Christ. I love to talk about my own spiritual journey with Christ. Jesus took me from being someone who was rebellious against him and with a great deal of anger in my heart, and he's made me into someone who doesn't feel that sense of rebellion the way I once did and who doesn't have that same degree of anger that I once had. And he did that by just showing me his love and showing me how confused I was along the way. And that pathway that I walked, man, I love that pathway. I'm so thankful for how he changed me in the journey. How would you describe the movement that you have changed as you've journeyed with God? I'm not talking about a movement like moving from Jefferson County to Clearfield County. It's not what we're talking about at all. 
my journey took me from partying just about every weekend and in between to applying myself to understand the Bible so that I could help others understand the Bible and find the good things that I found in it. It's a great journey. What's yours look like? Today we're going to talk about kind of a peculiar journey. We're going to look at a man whose journey took him right through the roof. And I don't mean that in the sense of, wow, gas prices have skyrocketed through the roof and I am through the roof angry about it. Not that kind of through the roof. He didn't go up through the roof. He came down through the roof. Let's read his story in 10 verses here, starting in Luke 5, 17. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow that speaks with blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I just want to say, no kidding. (laughs) No kidding. So I asked you earlier, where are you on your spiritual journey? And that can be kind of a hard question to ask because how do you know how to judge? And even when you think about a spiritual journey, I'm not really sure what that looks like. Well, just imagine for a minute, just for fun, just imagine for a minute that your journey was a monopoly board and you were on that board. Maybe you're the wheelbarrow, you know? Where would you be? Baltic Avenue right there at the start, Mediterranean? Or would you be maybe free parking (laughs) or in jail? Would any of you be in jail? Or, or maybe, maybe you're, you've gone around to Park Place. Now, when you're thinking of it, don't think of it in terms of time. I've been playing this game a long time, and I'm finally at Park Place, so I'm getting ready to go home. Not that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually. What milestones have you passed? What milestones are yet in, in, in front of you? I think maybe <laughs> there could be some people who would say, Monopoly game? I'm not even on the board. <laughs> I'm the thimble, and I'm still in the box. The box is closed, and it's on the chair right next to the table, and I'm letting other people play that game. I don't know. Is that you? Maybe. Maybe that's where you'd be found. Where are you in your walk with Christ? That question merits your attention because there is value in seeing your location on a spiritual landscape. But how do you find it? I mean, how do you really answer the question, where am I in my walk with Christ? You know, as we prepare for communion today, we're going to take a moment and just examine ourselves before God. And as you prepare to do that, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give these to you whether you mind or not. I'm going to give you some questions that might help you kind of say, whoa, here's where I am 
in the spiritual landscape. Here's where I am in my journey with Christ. And, and I want to tell you, these are rather pointed questions, but they may be helpful questions. Here's number one. We pray, thy kingdom come, right in the Lord's Prayer. So ask yourself, how are you using your time to advance the kingdom? I mean, we're praying, thy kingdom come, whenever we say the Lord's Prayer, what are we doing about it? Ask yourself, am I serving the king? Or am I a little bit more of a spectator? That might help you discern where you are in your journey of faith. Here's another sample question that you might want to consider. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, a passage that says, do not give up meeting together. Don't give up meeting together. Get together and encourage one another. Okay, ask yourself, how am I doing in connecting with other believers? Am I connecting with the body of Christ in a way that is helpful to me? Or have I kind of let that slip? Have I kind of lost something along the way? That's a pretty good question to ask yourself. Where am I connecting with other believers? How am I connecting with other believers? Let me give you one more. A third question. We hear a sermon on why we should value the word of God. You might have heard that last week if you were here, right? So ask yourself, what place does the Bible hold in my life? Am I reading it faithfully? Do I read it every day? Do I read it every week? Do I read it every month? Do I even know where it is? Am I reading the word of God? Or is my nose buried into a smartphone looking at the sports page or social media or something like that? It's a good question to ask yourself. Now, I do not present these assessment questions so that you can have a guilt trip laid upon you. I never want to lay a guilt trip on you. But what I do want you to do is give some thought to your own spiritual journey. Where are you on this journey? Because I feel pretty sure that Jesus probably doesn't want you to park right where you are. He wants you to move forward in your walk with him. He would like you to grow. He wants you to move. And I'm not talking about moving to France. He wants you to move closer to him and grow in your walk with him and deeper in your relationship with him. This passage... And it's kind of strange, but I think you'll see these unfold as we move forward. This passage actually has an example of places that people might find themselves, people who need to move forward. Let me give you one of those examples. One example is the curious. And you may be curious, but that's not where Jesus would want you to stay. Take a look again at verse 17. You'll see some people who I think were kind of curious. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. The ones that came from Jerusalem, they're probably the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And they're probably there to investigate for themselves. I've heard there's this preacher. It's pretty good. He's getting a lot of people in. He packs the house, literally in this case. And, uh, you know, I think maybe uh, he's healed some people, did something with wine, uh, water, wine, I don't know. Kind of curious to see what's going on here. Just going to check this out. Now, I want to say, I, I believe God likes that. He likes a heart that is curious about what he's doing. But he doesn't just want you to stay there kind of on the sidelines. Like, oh, that was pretty cool. What can you do next? What can you do next? That's kind of cool. What else can you do? I'm kind of curious. What are you going to do next? He wants you to move from mere curiosity to something different. In the text, it kind of strikes me that you could be desperate. And you can see that in verses 18 and 19, that you could be desperate, but 
But Jesus doesn't want you to stay there. Look at verse 18. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. I'm sorry, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowering him on his mat through tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. I want to say, if you're paralyzed in that culture, frankly, in any culture, you're likely to be pretty desperate. And if you're the kind of person who carries your friend from where he is to a crowd of people that are overflowing a house, you're probably pretty desperate. And if you actually will take that friend and climb up on the roof of that house, you're pretty desperate. And if you're going to dig a hole in the roof of that house, and by the way, I don't advise that, but if you're going to dig a hole in a stranger's roof, you're pretty desperate. And when you lower him down before Jesus so that Jesus can heal him, you're pretty desperate. But these guys are more than desperate. These guys are on the move toward Jesus. They're moving by faith. They have heard, perhaps maybe they've even seen Jesus and what he can do. And they're trusting him. This Jesus can help our friend with this problem. Jesus values desperation because it can move you toward him. But Jesus doesn't want you to live in desperation. He wants you to move forward in your faith from desperation to something else. When I read Jesus' first words to the paralyzed man, I I can see that you could be consumed by guilt. You could be consumed by regret. You can be consumed by shame. And you can say, yeah, I'm just no good. Yeah, And that kind of feels like a humility that you're able to project. You know, it's almost virtue signaling, yeah, I've done a lot of bad things. And that guilt, that regret and shame, it serves a purpose. But I'll tell you what, it is not where Jesus wants you to stay. Let me say it again. Guilt, regret, shame, they can serve a purpose. But they are never where Jesus wants you to stay. Look at Jesus' first words in verse 20. The first ones that he is recorded to speak in this interaction. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. I don't know, did he say it that way? Or did he say, Friend, your sins are forgiven? Or did he say, Friend, your sins are forgiven? I don't know how he said it, but he said it. Does it kind of strike you odd, though? I want you to think about it for a minute it's the first thing he says. The first thing. How does he do that? What is he talking about? We remember that in John 2.24, we hear that Jesus knows the heart of everyone. And so he looks at this man and says, friends, your sins are forgiven. And although those of us looking on or reading about the story 2,000 years later have no idea what was going on, I have a feeling that guy knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Exactly. And I have a feeling he was delighted to hear those words. If you're a Christ follower, or even if you haven't decided to start following Christ yet, if you're kind of just putting your toe in the water and kind of checking it out, so to speak, you've probably come to grips with the fact that you have things in your past that you regret, that you're guilty of, that are downright shameful. And if you've given much time to thinking about those, you know they can eat you up. Guilt. It can be a good thing if it leads you toward 
Christ and your spiritual leader, but God does not want you to be consumed by guilt. He wants you free. He doesn't want you to stay at that mile marker on your spiritual journey. He wants you to move forward. (laughs) As I think about my own spiritual journey and uh, the place of some in this story, I'm reminded that another place you could be is you could be skeptical. But that is not where Jesus wants you to stay. Now, when I say skeptical, I was going to use the word cynical, but I feel like I use that way too much. (laughs) Look at the reaction of the Jewish leadership in verse 21. After Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Can you hear the skepticism when it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus sees it. They're not even saying it out loud. But remember, he knows everyone, and he knows the heart of everyone. And he knows that skepticism, it's always a matter of the heart. It's a heart issue that we need to move away from on our faith journey. Now, I just want to show you something. It might be the coolest part of this message, the coolest part of the story to me, because skepticism is something that I really, cynicism as well, is something that I really must resist in the power of the Lord, personally. If you take a look at this, in verse 22, it says, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. And then Jesus does something that is amazing. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I know the story. He heals a guy. And that is amazing indeed, Pastor Steve. It is. But there's something that personally to me is even more fantastically amazing. And and, and follow along. Follow along in verse 24. And what you're going to see here is that Jesus, dealing with these skeptical men, he gives them exactly what they need to move from that place of skepticism forward in their walk with God. Look verse 24. But I want you to know, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. That's amazing. That's amazing. He gave the skeptics exactly what they needed in order to be free of their own entrapment of skepticism. What a gift. What a gift. There are many places that you might be on your spiritual journey. Surely some good places, and surely some not-so-good places. You can be pretty sure that God has a mile marker down the road just ahead, a new place for you to be on your journey. And you can be sure that if you're looking to him, he will give you what you need to move forward. Maybe, maybe he's giving it to you this morning. Perhaps this message is talking to you about some moves that you might make on your spiritual journey. Maybe that curiosity thing is where you kind of find yourself. He can move you from curiosity to deep exploration and even to discovery. Remember those religious leaders watching Jesus. They're curious, but God wants to move them beyond that. How do you do that? You know, there are some hobbies some activities that you can engage in quite casually. Fishing. 
You can fish casually. I mean, there are guys who they take it very seriously, and that's great. I admire them, and they become great fishermen. They're real steady on bringing in the catch. But you can honestly fish without taking it seriously at all. In fact, I heard a story about some guy who his uncle fished out back of the house pretty regularly, sat on his chair at the water's edge and fished regularly. And one time he went out to see him, and uh, his uncle picked up the, the pole, and there on the end, there was no hook. So what are you doing? I'm fishing. You're not going to catch anything without a hook. Mind your own business. He fished casually, right? No, no desire to catch anything. Just wanted to be out there. You can do that with a lot of hobbies. You can take, one of my hobbies is marathons. I take it very casually. I've never even seen one. You can do that, right? But there's other hobbies that you can't do that with. You cannot take the hobby of skydiving casually. You better, you better dig and learn. And no, you can't, you can't jump out of the back of a plane just because you were a little curious about what it would be like. You can, but it would be a bad idea right? You need to explore. You need to discover. And then you can engage in that kind of hobby as well. Christianity is not a hobby. But follow the illustration that your Christian walk is something that you will want to intentionally focus upon, not with casual curiosity, but with intentionality, exploration, and discovering. If you spend your life being casual about Jesus, You'll never really move forward in that journey. But if you take it seriously, moving from the trivialities to exploring what Christ wants to do in your life, you're going to make some serious headway moving down the road of the journey of your life. So in a few minutes, we're going to go to the Lord's Supper, and maybe one of the things you want to give some thought to as you examine yourself is, do I need to look more deeply into what God has for me? get a little more serious about my relationship with Christ. That might be your move from curiosity to exploration and discovery. Here's kind of an internal move that you might want to make. You might need to move from desperation to hope. Remember the paralyzed man and his friends, they were desperate, they needed hope. If you're desperate, you will move. Do you understand that sentence? No one who is desperate doesn't move. You will move because your desperation will force you to move one way or the other. If you don't move toward God, that's not going to be healthy at all. In fact, it could be tragic. You want to move toward him. You want to allow your desperation to move you toward God because there you'll find hope. There are a lot of things that can make our society feel desperate. Politics, friends behaving badly, the economy, family members behaving badly, loneliness, finances. If those kinds of things are lying there in your life, I would encourage you to do what the men in this passage did, to pick them up, whatever it is that you're desperate about, to pick it up and to Take it to Jesus. I mean, even if you have to climb up on the roof and dig a hole in the roof to do it, if you're desperate, that will sound reasonable. Take it to Jesus. Speak to him about your struggles, about how frustrated it is. 
frustrated you are, I mean. Talk to him about how you feel. Let him know. He already knows because he knows the heart of everyone. And as you speak to him about it, he may give you some answers and some healing. He may help you. As you approach the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, maybe the faith step for you would be to speak earnestly to God about the things that are troubling you deeply. Maybe you need to move from feeling guilty to becoming clean in Christ. (laughs) Remember those first words? Friend, your sins are forgiven. Don't dismiss someone. I mean, just because you're a Christian, don't dismiss that. Sometimes we become a Christian like, I know my sins are forgiven. What's next? Think about that for a minute. Students of the Bible have puzzled over, why did Jesus say those words? Because there's no evidence that that guy asked for forgiveness. We, we have no record of him confessing any sin, but Jesus just gives him sin, and we can chalk that up to Jesus' knowledge. Jesus knows your heart. As strange as it may sound, he knows your heart better than you do. You know, in the Bible, Jeremiah places that statement out, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, and then he asks, who can understand it? And I got to tell you, probably for the first 40 years of my life, that's all I ever heard people say. That's not the good part of the passage. The good part of the passage is, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind and reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Jesus knows your heart. He knows the guilt, the shame, the regret that you would like to be rid of. The things you regret saying, man, I wish I hadn't said that. The things you wish you had done, and now it's too late, and you know doggone well you should have done them, and you didn't. He's there for that. The regret you have for the places you've gone, I should not have gone there. He can clean you from that. The habits you wish that you had never adopted. He can wipe all that away. Because when you take those things to Christ, he cleans them up. Your sins that were red like scarlet, he makes them white like snow. And so as you approach the Lord's table today, you might want to give some thought to stuff that you're still hanging on to. And he's saying, what are you hanging on to that for? I took that to the cross with me. Let me forgive you. Let me take away your shame. Let me release you from this bondage. Maybe that's you. Feeling of regret and guilt. Getting rid of that. Or maybe you need to move from skepticism to rejoicing. Remember the religious leadership and their ongoing skepticism in other passages as they spoke about Jesus. I'll just be real honest. Sometimes I feel like them. I mean, sometimes I think to myself, you hear people say, I've heard people say this all my life, I wish I had been alive when Jesus was preaching. I don't know. I might have landed in the wrong place because I can be really cynical. I can be very skeptical. Sometimes I feel like skepticism has reached an all-time high in our world. Don't you feel that way? Probably hasn't. We tend to have kind of like a chronological snobbery that ours is always the biggest or the worst or whatever. But there's no no doubt about it. It's high. I'm really skeptical of politicians. Who isn't, right? (laughs) This is crazy. I am skeptical about religious leaders, and I are one. (laughs) Right? 
This is heartbreaking. I have become skeptical about longtime friends. A skepticism that it's hard to set aside sometimes. That's not healthy. Skepticism? (laughs) What is healthy is to remember that skepticism never creates joy. I'm still looking for a book called The Joyful Skeptic. (laughs) Who would even think that way? It produces misery. And the reason you want to talk about the things you're skeptical is you just love sharing the ugly. You just want to share the garbage in your heart. It never produces joy. If you're thinking, if you're thinking that it would take a miracle for you to make this move, take heart because Jesus is in the miracle business. He can change you. Think about it. Remember, it was a pretty big deal that he healed the guy who was paralyzed. I think it was a pretty big deal that he looked at the skeptics who in their mind were accusing him as blasphemy and he said, hey, I want you to know The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Let me show you. Let me lay your skepticism aside. Let me show you. Oh, what a loving Savior. As you approach the Lord's Supper, hmm, maybe you need to take your skepticism to Him. Maybe you need a miracle. Maybe that's your next faith step. To say, God, I would love to be released from this. I believe he does those kinds of miracles in a couple different ways. Sitting around one time with a bunch of guys, we're having a Bible study, and one of the guys, we're talking about things that we keep getting trapped in. And one of the guys said, you know, I was trapped in alcohol for years. And I prayed about it one time, and God just took it away like that. And it was gone immediately. But I have this other thing I get trapped in, and he's not taking it away like that. He's taking it away, though. Keep bringing it to him. Keep bringing it to him. Keep bringing it to him. And you may find resistance. You may find a crowd of people at the door so you can't get in. And you may have to climb up that roof and figure out, how am I going to get this thing up here on top of this roof so I can lower it down to Jesus? And I don't mean to think of the paralytic as a thing. It's an illustration. Follow me here, okay? And you may be on the roof and think, now how am I going to get... That which I need to give to Jesus, how am I going to get it there? You might have to dig a hole in the roof. Don't stop taking it to Jesus. If he takes care of it like this, more power to you. I rejoice with you. If he does it like he's doing it in my life, (laughs) it'll be a little bit at a time, but he'll do it. He will do it. So where are you in your faith journey? Where are you? How long have you been there? Are you stuck? I played uh, Trouble with the Pop-O-Matic. Early, you bought that for our family. I played Trouble with the Pop-O-Matic with my grandchildren yesterday. I couldn't buy a six to get out of that home place, you know, to get moving on that thing. You ever feel that way? I want to pray that whatever it is, wherever you are on your spiritual pathway, whatever you need to do, that you would do it as you move forward with Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father in heaven, as we stand before you, we do so because we want to talk to you and we want to give you our full attention. And so we take this moment, Father, just to say thank you for your great love for us.
Jesus, we see the obvious, that you heal, and that demonstrates that you have the authority to do so. And we see that which maybe isn't quite as obvious, that while you're healing a paralyzed man, you're looking at everyone else and helping them move down the journey of life. I pray for us as we're, sta- as we're standing here as individuals. Holy Spirit of God, look into our hearts and put your hand on our shoulder and point to the changes that would be beneficial for us to make. And may we, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, make those choices. And may we move forward with your holy influence on our own faith journey. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you didn't happen to pick up your bread and your cup, you'll have just a minute that you can do that in if you want to go grab that. I should have mentioned that earlier. I apologize as well if you're online. I generally try to remember to ask you to have yours prepared in advance. I apologize for that. There's a thing that happens in communion services quite frequently that the pastor will refer to a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth when he says, one should examine oneself before eating the bread or drinking the cup. And uh, that has almost become a tradition that we do with regularity. It's a good thing to do, to take a, a look into your own heart. And it's what this whole sermon has been asking you to do. So I want to give you that moment before we even open the element. If you've opened yours, you're okay. (laughs) I want to give you that moment to examine your heart and to ask God, what do you need to do to move down the journey, the pathway that God has for you? Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. I'm going to ask if uh, Milton would just stand where he is, pray a prayer of thanks for the body of Christ, which is for us. Milton? body of Christ. I just want to take a moment. I don't know if you could hear Milton, 
I had my ears tuned in tightly and I could hear him. It was beautiful. He just, to God right in front of you, confessed his own sin in a desire to move forward. Did you hear it? I would never tell this, but he just said it in front of you. He said, God, forgive me for my complacency. Words to that effect. What a beautiful thing. I'll just proclaim in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're forgiven, Milton. Walk forward, my brother. After he took the bread, he took the cup, and he said, this blood is the new covenant. It represents a new covenant that is, that is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. I'm going to ask Ben if he would stand where he is and thank God for the blood of Christ. Ben? Thank you, Ben. The blood of Christ. 